as I wander on by the evening shades to watch the shadows play. Then I listen to the call of the whippoorwill as he sings his evening lay. All is to his song as it floats. Hey everybody, welcome to, welcome to the checklist. All right. <laughs> This is the uh, sorry. Well, I didn't mean to just immediately blow your spot up. <laughs> I was supposed to say do the, well, do the intro. No, no, do the intro. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dadlit Podcast. I am your host Connor, joined by my co-host. The, I'm a court jester named Chris Ludwig. <laughs> yeah, Chris just like blew out uh, my 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 eardrums before this, so that's why he's laughing. I think I blown out my microphone. <laughs> All right, so today's episode is going to be a recap of the Dadlit checklist. Uh, we we usually reference the checklist towards the end of each episode to sort of uh, review all of the motifs and tropes and stereotypes that appear in Dadlit books. We're going to go through the, the list and clarify what each one means. And really, we're doing this because we are preparing for a very heavy lift for our next episode we are doing one of the titans of dad lit next time we're doing tom clancy so we want to be prepared we want to be warmed up we want to know what we're talking about i mean and like when you and i originally discussed doing this clancy was like the first name that we talked about uh in fact the book that we're doing was like the first book that we talked about the whole point of like hey we're gonna do a checklist because if it includes a submarine and a helicopter it's dad lit and that was like the first checklist item. Does it contain a submarine? Yeah, and that's sort yeah, of and that yeah. and, and Hunt for the Red October spoilers. It contains a submarine and it has a helicopter too. So. It does. <laughs> but are you ready to go through the checklist, Chris? No. Are you Are you prepared? Are you excited? Um, I am both of those things actually. For once. Okay, so I've kind of broken up the checklist items into character elements and narrative elements and i'll start with the character elements so dad lit uh checklist character elements this includes starting off hyper competent male protagonist yeah i think that's like number one for most dad lit yeah you've got uh dirk pitt 90 percent. yeah dirk pitt uh jack reacher yeah um uh jack ryan to some extent even though he's competent in some things and not great at others right right um, he's hyper competent and hyper skilled but he also kind of has a um uh a quiet quality you know like i i think that that i think that some of these dad lit authors really get off on having like a uh, a smart a really like smart yeah, hyper competent guy he's, he's he almost feels like more of a Crichton protagonist we'll get into that when we discuss the book but yeah yeah uh he's he's not as physically abled as say like jack reacher sure uh, you know, yeah. eight eight foot tall mountain of a man jack reacher okay next i have uh a character with a signature item now this this can include like oh you a, did include that I think I I think I listed that farther down the list because I missed it yeah yeah like a, signature item or signature vehicle yeah so I was gonna say so signature item might be something like a cigarette holder or a cane or like a wrist or a, like a pocket watch but it can something also 
Yeah, it can also something be a signature like weapon. I was going to say, something that's like an identifying item of the character that like whenever they show up multiple times, you recognize them. You could recognize them just from the mention of the item. Like um, James Sandecker, uh, Admiral Sandecker smoking cigars. Like a, I would say a cigar is a signature item for Sandecker. Uh, or one that we discussed recently when we um, talked about Cussler, um discussed the Isaac Bell series is Isaac Bell's Derringer piece that he hides under his hat. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's what I was thinking of is Isaac Bell and with that's, the Derringer. That's in every single one of his stories. So like anytime he's in a book, that, that Derringer is going to get whipped out at some point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but that, that, that extends beyond even Dadlet. Like uh, you could have Dadlet characters. Like a good one that comes to mind is like Han Solo. Everyone can kind of picture Han Solo's blaster. It's a signature item. Well, also a signature um, vehicle, the Millennium Falcon. Correct. Yeah. And many characters in Dadlet have a signature vehicle or multiple. Uh, Dirk Pitt has a whole hangar full of signature vehicles, uh, which is cool because some of them appear in other books before they're mentioned again. Like I, I, I read some of those out of order and uh, there's a Ford tri-motor that he has in, um, I want to say it's, I don't remember, but um, I think he has it in Valhalla Rising, and there's a previous book where he gets it, and it's kind of cool when I was like reading them out of order, I read the one where he got it. I'm like, hey, I recognize that plane. Yeah. Um, well, I want to read some more of the Isaac Bell books to see if that uh, race car comes back into the scene, because they... Oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the locomobile. The locomobile. Yeah, the red locomobile, yeah. that's a signature vehicle for sure. Yeah. Okay. Speaking so. of um, the chase, this next one applies to the chase. Uh, henchmen. Not Does it yet. include henchmen? Um, good example is Abner Weed from the Chase, who is mm-hmm. the Irish driver slash wrestler slash bodyguard for the villain Jacob slash Cromwell. Body disposal unit slash yeah. slash slash cleanup man. Uh, he's a great goon. Yeah, he's a, t- a goon. I mean, henchman. Yeah. You could say goon. All right. Next one. Elite fighting force. So this doesn't mean that, that they need to be like the crux of the story, but they, they can be, but they can also just show up. So does do the Navy SEALs, special forces, a SWAT team or German paratroopers, are they involved somehow? Or uh, a militia? Well, are they elite though? So they could be. Some of them are idiots, but they could be in a book. That's what was like... There's definitely stories that do have elite militias. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later about what we're currently reading. I'm reading The Dogs of War by Frederick Forsyth. And it's not a militia, but it's a mercenary group. And they're all kind of elite in some ways. Um, Okay, next. Technician class characters. Now, this refers to um, scientists or researchers or forensic experts who are experts in a certain subject field. An example I'll give is in Die Trying. There's a burnt car that the FBI collects. It's a piece of evidence, and it's sent to the uh, FBI headquarters at Quantico. And there are these technicians who analyze the burnt-out Hulk, and they determine exactly how the car was destroyed. And they're basically like doctors who specialize in car wrecks. So if there's a kind of hyper-specialized technician class character, we're considering that a feature of dad lit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you get that a lot in Custler stuff, too. Yeah. When Numa Numa comes across something interesting and they need like a, a specialist 
to analyze it. I would even say, to some extent, I would even say like Rudy Gunn, but I feel like he's too he's too broadly skilled. Um, but yeah, uh, that that works. And that's like I said earlier when we were discussing like Jack Ryan, a lot of like Cussler, uh, not Cussler, um, Michael Crichton's like protagonists, even though they're not like side characters, but generally they are some sort of specialist in some sort of field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think do- so. In Jurassic Park, there's Doctor Wu. Who, um, Dr. Wu, yeah. um, you, I would even say even Ma- Ian Malcolm being like a, 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 like a special mathematician. You know, we should, th- those are both sort of technician class characters, I guess, to, to an extent. Well, Ian Malcolm is actually more theoretical. He's like a theoretician, but he is, you know, a, an intellectual sort of expert by technician class. I mean, I mean, you, you, you mean know. more like the, the tech side of it, like a tech, like, um, hands on, uh, yeah, like Nedry. Yes, Dennis. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes they play more prominent roles. Like Dennis Nedry is important to the plot. In Die Trying with these FBI experts, they they're just there to kind of deliver information. Um, okay, moving on. This next one's another character type: pencil-necked bureaucrats. Mm. I think we all know what that means. Love to hate them. I am a pencil-necked bureaucrat in my real life. Love to hate you. Uh, I try and be helpful. Um, so in uh, Clive Cussler's Night Probe, which we have said before we record, we're, we recorded an episode, we just kind of have to put it together. It was the first episode we recorded. There's the... Um, the pres- we recorded it twice, actually. That's true, yeah. I recorded it in a really seedy hotel room in Albuquerque. I remember that fondly. <laughs> it was in a bad part of town. But um, the... Pre- fondly? Well, it was kind of cool. Or, 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 or was it fondly? No, no, no. I, I hauled all of my books. Like, I took a train to Albuquerque, hauled all of my books and recording equipment, and got set up in this hotel room. And it was just like, it was a it was a trek. It was an adventure. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't think you told me this, but all right. <laughs> so that, I'm looking forward to the behind-the-scenes that production that we'll do in 10 years. Uh, yeah, it was the San Mateo Inn uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So anyways... Uh, everybody that lives in everybody lives in Albuquerque. There you go. There's a fun fact for anybody that knows the San Mateo in. So, Night Probe by Clive Cussler. The president's uh, chief of staff shows up, and he's very young and kind of um, stuck up. And he tries to basically play interference and prevent Dirk Pitt from speaking to the president. And Dirk Pitt actually um, punches him in the face. Yeah, and he does. I want to say these pencil-necked bureaucrats, uh, a, a sort of sub-feature of this character, is that they usually are there to reinforce the bravado and the competency of the protagonist. So they're kind of like sometimes the logic nerds, whereas like, you know, Dirk Pitt's like, I'm going on gut instinct and I need, you know, I need to talk to the president. I need to do X, Y, and Z. But the bureaucrats are like, you have to fill out the paperwork, but, you know, it's always the bravado and competency that's that's right. Would you would you say that the lawyer in Jurassic Park falls into this category? Um, I would at the beginning. Actually, if if uh, if you haven't read Jurassic Park, one thing when I read it, I was kind of surprised by is that the lawyer is such a. He's a main character. I mean, he's arguably like the main character. And um, he 
he yeah the focus the focus of different characters is shifted around slightly in the adaptation of the movie uh, some of the characters in the book are much more important or have more time than they do in the movie. Yeah, I'd, maybe I'm exaggerating if I say he's the main character, but he's one of the main characters. No, the the main character is undoubtedly Ma- Malcolm, since all of the chapter headings are uh, chaos theory bullshit, and <laughs> the book is kind of like bookended by some Malcolm stuff. But and he goes on to be in the next book, so that's I'm sorry. Thank you for coming to my TED talk about why Malcolm is the main character of the Jurassic Park series. But yeah, so he, he I would say he starts off like that because he's there for very specific reasons and he's kind of like a he's a buzzkill, you know, yeah, um, uh, and it's it's uh, I don't want to say he's a, f- a foil, but he is kind of a foil for the characters. He's something that they have to overcome. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples other than the Although, president's assistant. I will say, from... I, I, I remember specifically in Jurassic Park, the physical description of the attorney, G- Gennaro, is that he's actually like a little muscular. Um, I remember them they that Crichton makes that point. So he's not really pencil necked, but I remember, I, I believe it's kind of described that he has like gym muscles, you know, like he's like, you know, he leads, he leads like a, cosmopolitan lifestyle you know going to the gym and taking care of yourself and like he's not he's not you know uh like reacher strong or like naturally or like construction worker strong where you just kind of you know you you're sure sure yeah, yeah. but uh so the pencil neck part maybe doesn't apply but we we can use that term figuratively as well i'm just trying to think of a, a secondary example that would that would fit so we're not just going off of the president's man. I mean, I'm sure people who have read Dadlet understand the trope, but uh, yeah. another one doesn't really coming to mind. Well, gosh, yeah, I'm trying. I mean, the- all right. Well, I mean, it made it on the list for better or worse. I think. Oh, that- I'm sure we'll see it again. Yeah. I'm sure it will come up again. I think we put it on there because we knew it would. We just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, okay. So next I have... I mean, there's definitely some in uh, Hunt for the Red October. I mean, in the book I'm reading now, there's some, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so next one, President as Character. Yeah, and I also added a second one, which is uh, Main Character Knows the President. That's I See, I kind of like that about these things, because it suggests like a world where like presidents are kind of cool you know it's like actually the president you know he he actually is he knows about this stuff and he's really supportive it's like uh, you know uh, or that like the president's somewhat down to earth you know it it, actually and it's funny so i was watching uh national treasure 2 recently which i would say is kind of a dad lit type uh you know if it was a book it absolutely would be yeah Yeah. and um the president is in that and he's like he kind of he him and nick cage meet and they kind of already know each other a little bit but the president's like super into nick cage's whole like you know um middle-aged uh historian adventurer thing and thinks he's so cool um yeah it's it's pretty good i mean we i think i think we could also um expand that second checklist item from knows the president to like knows important politician because there's like um the uh die trying um somebody the the like person that they're 
that they that they're like using as leverage is like the daughter of an important politician isn't it the, the daughter of the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff yeah that, yeah um so like I, I feel like we could say main you know main character or character knows important politician but mainly the president so yeah but poli- political checklist, connections checklist item one yeah check checklist item one president appears in the novel checklist item two character knows the president slash important yeah so i i put like a sort of sub checklist item on this bonus points if we don't ever get a head-on look at the president and if we if we only see their reflection or the characters speak to the their back or if it's you know like i think actually in one uh it was either i think it was die trying that um the president there's a scene with the president and you only really get a look at his reflection in, in the oval office window i mean it's very cinematic yeah very cinematic so yeah. so you know a cinematic treatment of the presidential appearance gets bonus points on the checklist um okay this one's a little similar kind of sort of cameos of famous historical figures so yeah, for sure yeah. jack london shows up in the chase that's you know yeah and I think you know, obviously, that's going to be weird because that's also like that's also like a historic situation too. But I, I don't mean just the earthquake, but like Jack London actually being there and writing about it is like a thing that happened. So it's like extra bonus points because it's not only does a, a historical figure appear in the book, but he appears doing the thing that he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I, that's true. It's 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 crazy that Jack London was there to begin. Well, he was forty miles away, but that you know that he should. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, next checklist item: Texans. Are there Texans? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just Texas exists Te- in general. <laughs> Texans. A, a Texan appears. <laughs> a Texan appeared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's like a pokey battle. It's when a character's Texanness is emphasized. Yeah, I mean that works. The especially in um, Night Probe when uh, that other. See, we're talking about a book that no one has heard our episode on. But yeah. if you like Dad, you, know you probably you know read what I'm Night talking Probe. about though. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about though. Where the, yeah. That other uh, battleship shows up, and when they turn on their their they, their communications with the uh, other one, they just hard texas accent yeah so the the situation that that chris is describing is it, like you said it's a night probe but there's like a kind of a standoff like a, between two ships and the there's a canadian vessel that is um rightfully threatening the heroes submersible uh pulling off a certain operation because uh, they're in like um questionable legality of what they're doing and uh the, then uh, an American battleship shows up, and uh, the, the 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 Canadian vessel like threatens, and o- over the PA, the American vessel opens up communications and goes, "This is Captain Whoever of the USS Captain you know, Harlan Shit Kicker of the USS Saratoga." <laughs> Yeah, uh, fire if if you want to go toe to toe, fire when ready. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great, you know, great. So that that speaks a little bit to this sort of cowboy characterization of of American protagonists that we've discussed before in the past. And that happens that happens like a scene before or a scene after Dirk Pitt 
uh, climbs aboard a ship wearing cowboy boots. Yes, there's like there, that's like the action scene. Is like they take like a like one of those zodiac you know rafts that the Navy SEALs use, and they have like it's like an it's like their elite scene, and he wears cowboy boots. Which I, hey, whatever you know. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to move on to some of the more narrative or plot uh, checklist elements, starting with excessive smoking. Um, hold on. So would you say the the previous category was what again? It was more character stuff, although some of it was plot, you know. I mean, uh, it's, it's, okay. it's really um, I arbitrary. I do want to add – I'll, I'll add a couple to the character-driven stuff. All right. Um, I think we could throw in misogyny during this um, racism as well. We, we actually have had a pretty decent track record with both of those checklist items. I'm surprised that we haven't had more misogyny. But, you know, once we talk about James Bond, that'll happen a lot. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, the other one that I was going to bring up that's kind of related to misogyny and happens once in a while with Dirk Pitt and a couple similar characters is um, competent character, especially a woman, suddenly becomes helpless because the, of the presence of the main character. What's an so example you have of that? Like, um... So, kind of in uh, Die Trying, you have the government agent that uh, Reacher, like, literally bumps into, and they both get, like, pulled into a car. And uh, she's also, uh, what, um, Air Force, or... Well, she's in the, she's in the like FBI. That. FBI, that's what it is, yeah. So, she's an FBI agent, so it's had, like, all the basic training and stuff, and... Uh, but like once Reacher is n- next to her, she becomes kind of like a damsel. Um, it's not super evident, but like I feel like there's other Reacher novels where this happens, where they'll introduce a character um, that is some sort of um, in the service, whether they're army, whether they're navy, whether they're uh, a, a letter agency, but whatever. And uh, once Reacher's around, he becomes the like most competent character. And the other person, no matter how competent they were previously in the novel, um, has in some way become helpless or yeah. less less they somehow uh, become effective. subsumed. By the yeah yeah or yeah. or in some way some way need help. Um, I, this reminds me of uh, a little bit, I guess, of Doctor No. Uh, the Ian I was going to say that I was actually going to say so. This isn't in the book. The books and the movies are so different. But to use an example from the movies, um, you get like enemy agents all the time that are like uh competing secret agents for James Bond like a Russian agent or a Brit uh, an American agent or whatever um and they become damsels suddenly even though they've had all the training and are spies themselves uh they need rescuing or they're suddenly in- incompetent because James Bond has to rescue them for the story to be exciting i was thinking of the um the the female uh, main supporting character I forget her name but in the book she has lived kind of a hard life the past few years of her life and she's um, doing this work on this island where she kind of sneaks onto this uh, island that Doctor No owns and she collects these certain seashells that she can sell for some decent money so she's very like competent and independent but um, 
all of that competency and independence is still she still becomes like the 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 the, the ward the the charge of of James Bond like you know the her her independence is emphasized but she's still dependent on James Bond and i think it there the, there's a misogyny in the sense of that well you know men like strong women but really what it's also saying is they like strong women that they can control um so it's like yeah they like strong women but they don't like strong women that might just say hey I, like i don't want anything to do with you or like this is a bad situation and i'm getting out of here um so yeah they, they 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 often get drawn into bad situations by the main character yeah i mean there's definitely some dirk pitt novels uh i can't think of any right offhand. i think pacific vortex this happens uh pacific vortex almost has a character that's if anyone's familiar with the works of batman um the works of batman yes the the the, the self-published comic books about his life no um no but if, if people are familiar with the batman comics there's a a, uh, a a league of assassins and the leader of this league of assassins has a daughter that becomes a love interest for batman are you talking about um, ross agul yeah, and his daughter Talia Al Ghul. And there's a character and situation in Pacific Vortex, a Dirk Pitt novel, that is very similar to this, where there is like a, a like a the villain's organization, the main villain has like a a femme fatale daughter, and she's like pretty competent and then suddenly becomes a damsel and like isn't as effectual when when it suddenly serves the purpose of the plot. So let's let's tidy this up into like a phrase. How would we describe this? Like competent, competent female character made made codependent. I, I, don't, I don't think it. Ne- I don't think it necessarily needs to be female. I think it it is a bonus. I don't want to call it bonus because it sucks. It's a negative thing. But um, I would say um, competency shift. Oh, that, that's a good way. That's really good competency yeah. shift so 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 if you have a character that has been shown to be competent in something and then suddenly is in a situation that they should be able to maneuver on their own but they need the help of the protagonist suddenly for the sake of the plot that's what it is that's i like this this is a good really good item uh to add yeah okay did you have any other ones in terms of characters or character types um I mean, in in broad, do we have a, a subsection for politics? Uh, no, but I guess it can fit in here because we're talking about oftentimes that's Characters. that's communicated via the characterization. All right, we're gonna throw up the big one: Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Just just if it includes Nazis, that's a checklist item. Uh, also, I put it specifically worded this way: hashtag terrorists, <laughs> because. Uh, terrorism has the you know the more it changes the more it stays the same in the way it's represented in fiction, um, and it we we have done a lot of meddling in foreign affairs over the years and it's interesting when you come across novels or like the other day I was rewatching the James Bond movie The Living Daylights, and it ha- it has to do with like Afghanistan. Oh God, and, Rambo and, three. And, I, yeah, well I'm saying like all of the like early representations of afghanistan and the crisis crises crises 
whatever, plural of crisis, uh, that have happened over there and all of our meddling and the shifts of power where, like, we once were supplying the Taliban with weapons. Those brave Mujahideen fighters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's who it is in Living Daylights. It's Mujahideen. Uh, Bond helps just a random guy break out of a prison that he's being held in and he ends up being, like, one of the leaders of the Mujahideen. Um... Uh, but you get you get this kind of stuff in a lot of dad lit um sahara has uh stuff where characters uh are considered terrorists but they're you know freedom fighters um so should we should we should it, should it be terrorists question mark sure i still i still like hashtag terrorists hashtag terrorists uh, question mark <laughs> yeah yeah question mark um oh, that's good so, yeah, and I think I think the the main the main point of this is uh, we we all know how these books are probably going to represent them, but I think it's interesting if it's like uh, if it aged poorly. So, so hashtag it's all gonna, I mean it's it's all gonna age poorly, but yeah. you know what I mean. Like if a political situation has changed and you have you know the the u.s being allies with some one group and then years later now we've seen in real life that that went badly uh multiple times uh and and it's it's interesting how many times like you look all the way back at like back to the future where they have the libyans Mm -hmm. and how the the stereotypical representation of the libyan terrorists in that movie that's exactly how it's always portrayed in like movies and dad lit um so so many of the uh so much of dad lit you know the the spy thriller genre the thrill thriller action adventure military thriller genre these all draw heavily from um politics and history so it's inevitable that that they're going to represent you know the politics of the time and i mean that, that the, that's going to that's going to look different you know benefit of hindsight uh, three three things that appeal to dads: politics, history, and military service. So you're mm-hmm. gonna come across terrorists. Yeah, yeah, and and, and he, actually, I'm not trying to jump off this one, but uh, there's a few narrative elements that I'm like, these are here. In some instances, they're there because they're just they're they're extravagant, but in other instances, they're just things people used to do more often. You know, like I, I we're we're gonna get to it. We can you know excessive smoking and drinking. That yeah. different cultural, you know, moments, that was something people did a lot more often in a lot more public spaces. So, you know, so, when you're reading Connor, a book about trying, World War II. Are you tr- Connor, are you trying to say that uh, people used to terrorize more often? Well, actually, uh, <laughs> I mean, in more public ways, like I know um, uh, hijackings, plane hijackings. You know, were more common, and I think in the seventies and eighties. Okay, but, but would you say that that's because of the change of technology that we've got much better security now because of uh, the advancements in cameras and sensor equipment, and just the the awareness of it? You know, the 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 drastic shift in airport security after nine eleven. Well, I think I'm not sure because I don't know too much about this subject, but I know that a lot of like these hijackings in the Middle East in the 70s and 80s, there were ransoms that were asked for and paid. So, you know, the fact that that's not really something people do anymore, 
um, it you know maybe it's because we don't pay the, we don't pay ransoms or maybe it's because people feel like they can't get away with it as easily. Which, we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists. We should that should be a, te- a checklist item. <laughs> we don't negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't negotiate with terrorists. So yeah, so hashtag terrorists question mark and then we don't negotiate with terrorists. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, Do you have any other ones you want to add before we go on to the next uh, kind of group? Did I mention? I don't think I mentioned Red Scare. Red Scare needs to be on there. Okay, that's kind of getting into the narrative and plot stuff, and I do have that okay. on here. But okay, so I mentioned excessive smoking and drinking. You see this in like you know World War II set books and uh, uh, and Bond and James crime Bond. crime novels. Smokes and drinks constantly. Yeah. Um, um, Red definitely s- crime novels. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone's smoking. The cops are smoking. The criminals are smoking. The kids are smoking. I was recently reading a book uh, by this uh, crime author, Lawrence Block. It was part of his Matt Scudder private investigator series. And Matt Scudder is like a um, he's an alcoholic, but he's gotten he's gone sober. And um, it was interesting because a lot of discussion in the book is about sobriety and treatment and Alcoholics Anonymous and. Uh, it was interesting, you know, because alcohol is such a big plays a big role in a lot of different crime books. But in this case, it was about this guy being on the straight and narrow and he struggles. But it's more about how like and it was kind of a positive, you know, it wasn't about some like down and out, you know, drunk guy. It was although he acknowledges that he was once down and out. But anyways, OK, next one. Hey, can we, what was that? What was that guy's name? The, the, the character's name? Matt Scudder. Can we get a team up between Matt Scudder and Jack Palance's character, Bronk? And have Scudder and Bronk? Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> I just want that. I want that buddy cop story. Yeah. Who would you, who would you cast as a Scudder? Like, um, what do you picture in that character? Uh, it's, it's, I didn't really focus on anyone get, in my get, head. Get an no. impression. I just want to know who you'd pair up with Jack Palance. I mean, in this case, gosh, I don't know. Like, I, I was gonna say Clint Eastwood, but like that's kind of. Oh lame. my god, that's too much grizzle. That they would just they would just grit their teeth at each other constantly. There'd be no talking. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. I bet I I would guess that there's probably a Matt Scudder like movie or TV show that's come out at some point. Uh, keep talking. I'm going to look that up. Okay. So next one you mentioned, which is Red Scare. I said Cold War context. But um, just if a book is set in the historical context of the Cold War and um, even it, whether it's explicit or it's kind of part of the background and the setting, I mean, a lot of the politics and the, the you know, um, villain hero uh setup is is in a lot of these books is um cold war context i mean the john le Carre novels you know you have the british spies versus the soviet spies um that's you know that's a good example but the, it can be more subtle than that um, um so <laughs> um it has been adapted by the way uh, the character of uh, matthew scudder um do you want to hear these Big ass names that have played Matthew Scudder. Actually, yes, I do, but I have someone to cast as Matt Scudder. But go on. Uh, give me the no. Give me yours first. You got to help me with this. I think we've cast they, him before. They won't compete. They won't compete. Go on. What is the name of that guy? Okay, he was in 
deep rising. He was in the Eagle has landed. Um, he is also in God. What else is he in? He's in the substitute two, I think. I'm gonna have to edit this shit because I suck right now. That's fine. That's what editing is for. Okay, give me a second. I'm gonna pull it out quick. Okay, I have. I just thought of someone for the Matt Scudder role, and that is Treat Williams. Yes, Treat Williams. Okay, that name was on the tip of my tongue. I'm glad you uh, just knew it off the top of your head and didn't have to look it up. Of the substitute um, two schools out. All right. Are you ready to get stomped by the actual castings? Do it. Jeff Bridges. That's good. And, and Liam Neeson. They've both played Matt Scudder? Yes. Oh, wow. Th- those are both pretty uh, yeah. good. We're going to have to look those up later. But yeah, um, I could see both of those acting excellently next to Jack Palance <laughs> in Scudder and Bronk coming this summer to a television near you. Okay. Yeah, that works. That's pretty good. So okay. back to our topic at hand. Um, Cold War. Which one do you prefer, 50s or 80s? Um, well, I'm going to say 50s because I've been reading uh, some Jean Le Carre novels lately. So Jean Le Carre is a uh, post-World War II you know, spy. Uh, his His books are set, you know, post-World War II. I mean, some of them go up into like the late, well, some of them go up to contemporary times. He passed away, but you know, the Smiley books are um, I think some of them go into 1976, but I, I like the the uh, immediately following World War II uh, uh, have Europe you, setting. Have you, I mean, I'm sure we'll elaborate more on this with the spy discussion, but have you seen the movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Uh, yeah, I've seen it. I've read the book too. Um interesting movie I, I wouldn't say it's exciting but it's interesting um great performances in it of course the um the uh, he's retiring too which makes me really sad um well it's got kieran oh, hines in no, it i get to, tom hardy yeah kieran yeah yeah no now i get to look up a name but it's just gonna it, it'll dawn on me um, you think of the the main character george smiley yeah 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 he's played by <gasps> That guy, he played Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK. I mean, he's been in he's everything. He's in everything. He's Max Zorg or whatever his name is from... Uh, why can't I think of this tonight? It's because I'm tired. I would say I prefer this 1960s Cold War. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Legend. How could you... Yeah. Um, he, I don't know how either of us could forget I know. that. I'll just edit that out. So, I'll edit that out so we don't look incompetent. Yeah, he's played by Gary Oldman, the legend. <laughs> unforgettable. Um, yeah, unforgettable. No one could possibly forget the name. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I thought the movie was okay. I haven't read the book. but Well, uh, Le Carre, and uh, we're going to do a sort of a spy overview episode in the future where we'll probably talk sh- about stuff secret. like this more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sh- top secret. <laughs> but, yeah, Le Carre represents, you know, one... I would say end of the spectrum for spy thrillers, which is uh, a much more procedural and uh, quiet um, uh, narrative compared to, um, you know, I'll give an example of something I read recently, like David Morrell's Brotherhood of the Rose, which is a lot of, you know, shoot 'em up, 
beat him up, uh, stab him up type stuff. But yeah, Lakari's stuff is interesting. I mean, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I really like that movie. I think it's like very well designed, like the the mm-hmm. just the sort of art design. Of I it. think it's I think it's I think it's more interesting technically than it is like entertainment wise. Like the costumes and the sets are really it's great, pretty, and like like yeah, just yeah. stylish in a, in a it's, weird way. It's it's weird it's weird to say period piece, but it's such a good period piece. Like it really puts you into the time period. Yeah. Okay, you ready to move on to the next one? No. All right. Salvage operation. Okay. Does it include a salvage operation? Every single Dirk Pitt novel. All right. Next next one fails the Bechdel test. Yeah. Uh, Which speaks to the misogyny aspect of these things. Yeah, I, we've only really discussed that, I think, with the uh, with Night Probe, haven't we? Yeah. I think maybe it came up a couple other times. So the Bechdel test... Was made by uh, Alison Bechdel, who's a comic book um, writer. Uh, I believe she's an illustrator as well. Um, she wrote Fun Home, and the Bechdel test got made into a Broadway musical that was a hit. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. I had to read it. In, I read it in college. Um, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see it, but um, it was always sold out. It was one of those ones that was like. Like Hamilton, where it was available for like a week, and then everyone heard about it, and tickets were a thousand dollars. But I heard it was really good. Well, the Bechdel test refers to, I guess, it refers to film, but we're going to expand it to any sort of story. It asks whether a film features at least two women talking to each other about something other than a man. the measure sometimes is enhanced by adding that the two female characters be named in the film. So, um, the, if it fails the Bechdel test, it's a feature of dadlit. Uh, I think an example, we keep <laughs> Night Pro, baby. Um, the, the president's wife is sort of uh, just the plaything of, of, of one of the villains. Um, right, but we, we said that it does pass the test because... Um, the uh, analyst character, the the main like female love interest for Dirk Pitt, um, talks to a coworker in the beginning, um, and it's about something other than a man. Okay. And then also, I, I also think she meets up with another one of the female characters later in the book and has a discussion. But regardless, we I think we got concluded that that one did pass, but many of them do not. Well, I like it because it's an objective standard. You know, it's like it it, it either does yeah. or it doesn't. It's, it's something that's exactly it's something easy to uh, identify. And just because it passes that test doesn't necessarily mean that its representation of women is accurate or generous or you know fair in any way. Deadly. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. If anybody loves trains, it's me, Johnny Cash. You know, if your boy's under 10 like mine is, he needs a big Lionel like this Black River Freight. Lionel also makes HO gauge trains for older kids like this Burlington 181. But for smaller hands, the big Lionel is easier to handle than put on the track. This Christmas, get your boy a train that's built for the way young boys play. A big, rugged Lionel. Lionel, the big train for small hands. This season, your Bell Phone Center store suggests a present for the future. Hello? 
a genuine Bell telephone. People use it long after other gifts are forgotten. Give one for the fun of it, the looks of it, or for making important calls with a single touch. There are so many genuine Bell phones and services, you may even choose a gift certificate. But come in soon, because nothing's as special as a present that lasts into the future. Bell Phone Center, it's for you. And now, back to our show. Um, right. Okay, next one. Villain monologue. So this is obviously it's where villain explains their plan or delivers some sort of diatribe when they should be killing the protagonist. And example of this is Dr. No um, towards the end of the mm-hmm. book when uh, James Bond is actually on the island. Um, he D- Dr. No sits him down and sits him down and they have dinner and drinks. And Dr. No basically explains his whole background and history and his intentions and all this stuff. Um, and he does this before he sends uh, James Bond on into this like kind of cool, deadly obstacle course, and that's how he tries to kill James Bond. I'm like, you should just another shot good him. One. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An- another good one of something that we've discussed on the podcast was in Die Trying. Um, you get Borkin, uh, Borkin monologues Borkin, a couple of times. Borkin, to- Bo Borkin. Yeah, there you go. Well, also, uh, I, I was thinking of Borkin when we talked about signature item because he carries like a big, I think it's like a vintage, like field marshal revolver that's a complete mm-hmm. affectation. And uh, um, he gets. I was about to say, I was about to say, I'm not sure if villain items count. And then I was like, nah, the man with the golden gun, of course they count. Sure, yeah. And Jack Reacher makes fun of Borkin for it. He's just like, that's such an impractical weapon. And you, and I can tell you haven't even been practicing with it. Okay, yep. so villain monologue. Next one, if we're doing villain monologue, we got to do villain anti-monologue. Um, I don't know that we have a good example of this, but I just we want to keep it on the checklist. And the villain anti-monologue... We talked about it, though. Yeah, we, yeah. we talked about it somewhere. It's, the, it's where the villain acknowledges that, hey, right now is where I would be saying something clever. Or they kind of acknowledge the moment that... Yeah, it's like a, a, meta, a meta moment yeah. where they address it. An excellent example, not in a book, but an excellent example is in the, the movie The Kingsman. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's character points out, he's like, if, if this was a spy movie, this is what we'd be doing right now. The next one is a big one, and I want to talk about it a little and maybe change it. Breezy scientific exposition. Sure. So this is when a complicated scientific topic is given a layman's explanation. Um, Here's an example. This is from uh, Lost World, the sequel to Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. Um, Great book. Here's just the, here's just a, a snippet. But complex animals had obtained their adaptive flexibility at some cost. They had traded one dependency for another. It was no longer necessary to change their bodies to adapt because now their adaptation was behavior, socially determined. That behavior required learning. In a sense, among higher animals, adaptive fitness was no longer transmitted to the next generation by DNA at all. It was now carried by teaching, period, end of quote. So that's an example of uh, it can be done via the third person omniscient narration, or it can be done a little more creatively via dialogue. 
you know, sometimes people sit down and there's a big block paragraph where they're having dinner and they explain something complicated. So, yeah, uh, you, you have uh, this almost, I, I feel like these could be two separate items and they probably should be, but techno jargon or techno babble where like um, techno babble is more of like a thing from like science fiction where you discuss a scientific issue or problem using like pretty much just fictional terms. Um, but yeah, it's it's a sim- overly simplified explanation either in character or out of character to uh, help the reader understand what's going on. If you were gonna if you were gonna write the actual like full on technical or scientific description, it would it would go on for pages, and that would be written by Neil Stevenson because that's what he does in his books, and it's annoying as hell. Yeah, it, it's intention. <laughs> he, has, yeah. he has large chunks of there's like. There's a cyberpunk novel by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash that is Mm -hmm. really good. It's on like a a meta level. It's supposed to be making fun of cyberpunk, but ends up being like one of the most quintessential cyberpunk novels. But like it'll go from like a goofy science fiction, dark, gritty cyberpunk dystopia to suddenly a character in a library talking about linguistics. And it goes into like actual linguistic essay basically for like pages upon pages and then it'll jump back into the like actual story and it's just your eyes go crossed at some point so you kind of have to have the breezy scientific uh jargon to help the reader not put the book down yeah it it it, exactly i mean because a lot of you know ultimately like i think some people understand like readers will lose um, attention if if it's too dense um so but yeah its intention is to give the reader an adequate enough education about the topic so they can kind of move forward in the story and have an idea of what's going on um you said you wanted to alter that one yeah i wanted to kind of open it up because i was reading something today where there's a similar treatment given to uh banking this guy is talking about setting up Swiss bank accounts and how they function. And it, it occurred to me that this is kind of similar to what like Michael Crichton does with like DNA or, you know, deep sea uh, marine life. So breezy scientific exposition, what we're talking about is just kind of our, uh, communicating an idea very well in simple terms. So it doesn't have to be scientific. I, I wonder if using the, the phrase technical exposition would encompass everything, because I think it, it also applies to finance and business, and it does apply to science, but it can also apply to, um, I don't know, mechanics is probably, you could argue it's still under science, but uh, I, I just want to maybe make a footnote that it can also, the same narrative, uh, st- you know, uh, tool can be used for other subjects as well. Yeah, we could we could we can change the words around to make it technical. Yeah. Okay. Next one. <laughs> Next one. Non-fictional framing device. What do I mean by that? I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, are you are you saying like um like Kustler novels, how they generally start start off with some sort of historic event or some sort of historic shipwreck or something, or um, books that are set within a historic setting. So, like, um, 
that's not really what I mean, but it it could extend to that. What what I mean is um, an introduction or some other literary device which frames a fictional story as nonfiction or frames a fictional story as potentially nonfiction. Okay, so as I'm to say, at you eagle has landed. Yes, you might be saying, "Well, who's to say this didn't happen?" You know, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I'll be the one that says this didn't happen. Eagle has landed. Eagle has landed. Definitely does this, and um, I think what you what you're describing, though, because the the Cussler books generally begin the the ones I've read. You know, they begin with a historical event, uh, the sinking of the Titanic, or like a, a train robbery, and um, that kind of does does some work because if it's a real event like the sinking of the Titanic or that earthquake or yeah I mean I think that just that might just be considered historical fiction just to keep this like pristine I mean like they're trying to be like they're presenting a story as nonfiction or trying to tease you and so say the, like the 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 literary uh, version of like found footage it's a great way to, to describe it yeah yeah exactly uh, yeah but uh, yeah okay yeah i'm fine with that and then we uh, that keeps it separate from historical fiction which we we already mentioned up farther up on the list that it, it takes place or mentions uh, a moment in history so we can just move on okay next one is nuclear warheads does it have nuclear warheads? Ah, uh, damn! Yeah, they—they, they, uh, man, they're everywhere. They pop up too much. Okay, then I next one is multiple moles. We we came up with that one reading moles. die die trying. Yeah, yeah. Which means, yep. uh, they think you know they the the good guys think they found the traitor the mole, and it turns out there's more than one. Um, yeah. Next one, experimental technology. Now, yeah. Oh yeah. Now it can Absolutely. be central to the story or it can simply be supporting um you know uh sometimes books are like about a piece of technology they're about you know an invention um you know the time machine it's about a time machine it's also about a lot of other stuff but um but then in in night probe you have this experimental uh sonar technology that's used and it's important but it's not really like the main part of the book um Okay, moving on. Next up, we call it gun porn. Oh, yeah. Cue Which, that montage <laughs> that you made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just means large numbers of weapons and or detailed descriptions of weapons. I was going to say an attention to specifically naming specific models and functions of specific models. I have to. Uh, see, it could yeah. even go as it could even go as far as naming your whole book after a specific model of shotgun. Looking at you, persuader. Yeah, I have to say, <laughs> I, I it's the 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 Sten gun, the Sten gun. Yeah. The Sten gun has. Are you are you gonna get one? It the that has entered my life. It is like a a brand on my brain. It's like someone. Yeah. I've just been thinking about it so much because it's it's such it's it's really bad. It's bad because ever since we discussed it, I've brought it up colloquially in like discussion with friends, and they have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, (laughs) I was. I'm like, you know, the Sten gun, the super silent machine gun that came out in World War Two. And they also, so I was reading more about it. So it was a so following Dunkirk, 
the uh, British retreat and the evacuation at Dunkirk, a lot of weapons were left behind and uh, the British needed to rearm quickly and uh, at a low cost. And that's, you know, a reason that the Sten gun gained prominence, prominence because it's such a low budget item and it's such, it looks like a, you know, some plumbing, you know, it's, it's a really janky gun. Um, It looks like the like pipe guns you get in fallout that are literally just things that are like ramshackled together. But this is like just easily manufactured, easily produced and spread out amongst your, your uh, army. But it was also airdropped to resistance fighters in Western Europe. So it was a resistance gun too. I don't know. I just love the Sten gun now. I try. I, I I was telling, um, I wanted to make some bumper stickers. Maybe that'd be good. Dad lit bumper stickers. Or just like stickers in general, like um, you know those security stickers. Like this house is protect- protected by a pit bull. I wanted yeah. to say like get yeah, one. It's like this house is protected by my Sten gun. Um, or or <laughs> or like a bumper sticker. You know the ones that say like if you can read this, you're driving too close. You know something like that for tailgaters. Something like yeah. if you can. If if you can read this bumper sticker, stay ho- say hello to my Sten gun. <laughs> uh, you you may be able to read this bumper sticker, but you won't hear my Sten gun. Yeah, that's good. I love <laughs> I love that. Um, which is probably like a, illegal to like that, that almost threaten that shooting almost, people. Yeah, that's like a threat. Yeah, it's a threat. Yeah, uh, that almost reminds me of the. Have you seen uh, the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the World? Yes. Yeah. There's that ridiculous movie trailer with um, Chris Evans, and he's like, the next click you hear is me hanging up the phone. The click you hear after that is me pulling the trigger. <laughs> yeah, all you hear is the bolts on the Sten gun. Uh, pop, pop, pop. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. All right, next up, vehicle porn. So that refers to detailed descriptions of vehicles, um, including their engines, uh, the Chase has by uh, Clyde Cussler with Isaac Bell book. You've got a motorcycle. That's the best. Yeah, that's yeah. the best example for how in depth they go about the uh, appearance, model, functions, and like how well they portray that yeah. car, that mo- locomobile. I just remember like um, the description of the cylinders and the and this is a little bit of this might be scientific exposition i the, mean the the refueling of yeah. it the changing the tires on the fly and like patching them while they drive just a really interesting chapter in general the combustion system uh, really interesting yeah book. it's like book yeah i mean i actually really enjoyed that you know i'm like i'm not a big car guy but i'm like oh wow so that's actually how like a cylinder works and that's like the purpose of like you know multiple cylinders and blah 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 okay yeah we're getting down to the nitty gritty, the well, not the nitty gritty. All right, helicopters. Oh boy! Submarines. That's the one. That's the big one. Ding 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 ding. Both. Uh, whoa! Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the planes. <laughs> I mean, trains, automobiles, and the movie planes, trains, and automobiles. But helicopters, Which I, submarines, I recently, I recently heard Sten about guns. the. I recently heard about how 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 nightmarish the production of planes, trains, and automobiles was for um, a truck driver they hired for the movie, and they kept wanting to shoot a scene with him when it was snowing, and the weather kept changing, and they kept shipping this truck driver 
uh, all around the country and having him drive places and putting him up in like hotels and and paying him for his time only for there not to be snow and they kept moving him around and then they finally got the shot they needed and he was super happy to just fuck off and leave this production <laughs> yeah I, i've uh, i've been worked on a few movies as background i mentioned this before it can be really difficult and uncomfortable like i remember um, I did background for News of the World, which is a Western with Tom Hanks. And the scene I was in was shot at night outside late October in the desert uh, outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was freezing. It was so cold. I felt so bad for the old people there. I'm like, listen, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm in OK shape like these Older folks look really frail and they like hiring older folks on Western movies because they've got, you know, beards and, you know, they just kind of have a good weather. Which look. is really funny because people didn't live that long. Yeah, but their characters, the maybe it's... I think about this all the time when I, I think about this all the time when I'm watching like spaghetti Westerns and there's like a, a skinny ass, like no teeth rancher or whatever talking to yeah. Lee Van Cleef you're like dude you'd be fucking dead but actually <laughs> just playing devil's advocate maybe he's supposed to just be like 29 years old and like he's had like a really hard life man don't smoke kids yeah, it'll wreck like, your how body are you? it's like I'm 29 uh, okay <laughs> alright so uh, but no I want you to add this though so so we have helicopters and submarines but let's add a, a it's almost like a bonus because like your both option um, if, if we get a book that has both, excellent. So now I want to add literally one called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And if you have a book that has Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, that's a check. Okay. Okay. I doubt it'll happen, but... Well, I added it. Um, All right. can't you tell? I can hear the... That's the checklist. <laughs> All right. Mm, next... Love that Foley work. Next up are, the, are structural elements to the book. Okay. So... Maps. Spine. <laughs> Pages. Words. Dust uh, cover. <laughs> okay. First one is maps, illustrations, or diagrams. Does the book oh, include absolutely. any of those things? So in um, Alistair McLean's books, uh, some like the first Hustlers. editions, you'll see like diagrams of ships or you'll see like maps and routes. and mm-hmm. um, Yeah. Di- yeah. Custler has diagrams as well. So, uh, Custler has some pretty cool ones. There was one, I don't remember which book it was. It might have been Inca Gold. I don't know. Might be Treasure. Whatever. Um, one of them, uh, the, like, the, the, the story from the past that is referenced is this, like, Roman battle. And, uh, the first chapter or the, the, the prologue or whatever has a map of the layout of the battlefield and like markings about like where troops went and stuff um, and where people like a certain character died and it like lays out this battlefield and then later in the book there's like an excavation going on and it's, it, it's really helpful to understand where they are on this excavation by referring back to that map in the beginning it's pretty cool i have a friend who's reading um the uh uh, it's one of the books is Master and Commander. I think the author might be Patrick O'Brien oh or something. God, yeah, it's Patrick O'Brien. I've wanted to read those ever since I saw that movie. Think, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so impressive. I think some of the books um, have like pretty advanced diagrams of the ships and the different sails. Do they? God 
damn it. I think I, I think I bought one of them on audiobook, but now you're making me want to buy it in physical. Well, I would say pictures. that this is probably dad lit because I think like Napoleonic stuff is probably all dad lit. I, I, I've read I recently read this sure. like Sharps series, oh, I mean, but that was I'm telling of... you right now, if you are going to look me in the eyes through a camera over the World Wide Web and tell me that you want to read a Patrick O'Brien nautical adventure, I am fucking down. I read a few of the Horatio Hornblower Permission books. Permission to come aboard, <laughs> sir. I like the Horatio Hornblower books. Those were good. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I want to read some some uh, more Alistair MacLean books, which are like World War II uh, stuff. But, okay. We haven't really... Uh, back on the Patrick O'Brien, though, we haven't really done something that's like nautical fiction. That would be a, a cool thing to tackle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. we... A lot of the dad lit thriller stuff, I mean, is um, a lot of the nautical, a lot of but, the Dirk Pitt stuff. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say a lot of the Dirk Pitt stuff takes place on the water, and you know, Hunt for the Red October is water. But I don't know there's the the, the like historical uh, nautical stuff is like a whole different. Yeah, genre. it's about like life on a ship. You know, it's about being on a ship for a like different several yeah. years, which is I, I I you know I say it's a completely different thing, but like. The chapters of Dead Wake about the summer, the German submarine crew living on a World War One submarine are harrowing. Like the the shit, the, the conditions they had to live in uh, under the sea is nightmarish. Is Dead Wake no- nonfiction? Correct. Okay. All right. Uh, I would call it. I would call it. Uh, it's Eric Larson. So like his stuff is like I would say creative. Non-fiction. Oh, this is about the Lusitania, huh? Yes, it's one of my favorite books, uh, maybe top three. Um, but uh, it's phenomenal, and it is about the sinking of the Lusitania, and it, it covers points of view from uh, people on the Lusitania using like um, firsthand, secondhand accounts, uh, letters um, from the survivors, um, all kinds of like everything he can get that is uh, true, he'll get, and then he just fills in the gaps with creative writing um but he tries to keep it as as true as possible and uh that that book in general is cool because it it covers the the people on the lusitania but it also covers the submarine crew that sunk it and it also covers uh it also covers room 40 in britain the like spy room well i want to read this it sounds really cool so do it do it it's phenomenal it's it's great Uh, everyone knows him for writing devil in the white city and devil in the white city is a cool book but dead wake is way better okay so i want to i want to actually um kind of clarify something about the maps illustrations or diagrams item I would say that we should only apply this or we should only check it off if the map illustration or diagram appears in the first edition or uh, maybe the second edition, second or maybe second printing, because are there are there are there books that add them later? Well, I believe I've I believe I've seen in a Penguin Classics uh, of Joseph Conrad's Secret Agent a map was added. I'm pretty sure it was not in the original Conrad book. Um, so sometimes they are an, added like the, like a, di- I think it's a diagram of Hyde Park or a map of Hyde Park that's added. So I think that if we see a map, we should reference the first edition to see if it was intended to be in there or if it's sure, something yeah, that's yeah. added I, later. That's, it's a very weird stipulation, but I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next 
chapters have location and or date and time stamps. Uh, bonus points hmm. if the time is in military format. So Zurich, Switzerland, June 22nd, 2011, 1600 hours. You know, um, I think the Bourne books have this. I'm going to make another I'm going to make another bonus point. Okay. Bonus point uh if the date is in the near future. Okay. Not science fiction, like if it's like a dad lit like a thriller but they place the setting like a couple years into the future from when it's published or like okay. 2025. But in some cases would have to check because maybe the book came out in 1989 and it takes place in 19 19- yeah you know yep. 92 or something like that okay that still counts okay that's cool that yeah we'll have to doubt that's one of those other things we'll have to kind of check the publishing page okay next author photo includes one or more of the following hawaiian shirt aviator sunglasses navy ball cap antique car and add this one to it golden retriever I was just going to say dog. I'm glad that we're on the same frequency, though. Just dog. Okay. Golden Retrievers bonus points because Golden Retrievers are adorable. Dean Coons um, has a yeah. golden – I think has two Golden Retrievers, but we'll just say dog. Yeah. Lucky, lucky man. Also, uh, people at home can't see this because this is not a visual medium, but I was ticking these off with my fingers. Okay. We'll simplify it and just say dog. I, that's, that's fair. Okay. These are ones that are – I mean, I don't know. Is there a large print version available at your library? Is it checked out? I mean, that's that's one of the first checklist items we had on the list. Could that just suggests that it's it. There's yeah. people think it might be read by an older audience. Are you saying that dads have bad vision? Is it part of a series? Because mine does. <laughs> um, my my family has okay vision. Actually, my my dad's vision is okay. He needs reading glasses though. Um, I'm lucky. Or he just needs large print books. Okay. Next one. Is it part of a series? Yeah, most of them. Like, like we've discussed, it's so interesting how our uh, our reading habits are, are similar but different in that like I've read a majority of series and you've read like a bunch of crazy amounts of different things yeah like the Matt Scudder books like I only re- I've only read that one book like it's you know it's it didn't really grab me like the 87th precinct series really grabbed me and I love yeah, those books love those. I'll yeah. never like you know you ever it's that thing where you finish a book and you're like damn what am I going to read next and I'm like always kind of like indecisive but I always know that if I pick up an 87th book next I'm going to like tear through it so See, this is my problem, is that used to be me with Crichton, and then he died, and now I don't want to read anything because I want to have Crichton that I can read into the future. And I only have, like, four more to read? Maybe five? I don't know. I'm, there's not many left that I need to, to read. So, Have you read the Andromeda Evolution no, that's by a different author, right? And it's intended to be a, a sequel to a drama to Strain? Yeah, yeah. Who wrote that? I forget his name, but he wrote the book Robopocalypse, which I read and I kind of enjoyed. 
Wonderful title. Yeah, I know. Not a good title, but <laughs> all right. Um, no, I, I could I could probably check that out at some point. And uh, once I extinguish all of my Crichton, I'll reread Andromeda Strain and then read that book. I think you should read this guy Tim Powers because he has this book. He's a science fiction author, but he wrote pir- uh, he wrote a pirate novel called On Stranger Tides, which was made into uh, one of the, it was the one of the basis for one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But he also made this wrote this book which I, I read like half of it several years ago, but I found a used copy recently called uh, The Anubis Gates, which is about an ancient I've Egyptian sorcerer and time travel. Um, it's pretty cool. That sounds crazy. As soon as I finish what I'm reading now, I might read that next. Or I guess I should read the Tom Clancy book, but anyways. Uh, speaking of, yeah, get on to the fucking topic at hand, Connor. It's okay. I'm still reading all of the the, the true life story. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, so so hold on. Uh, real quick aside, we go on so many tangents. But um, speaking of Anubis Gates, um, apparently Amazon is putting out feelers to uh, script writers and um, television writers for uh, if someone wants to pitch them a Stargate series. Oh wow! I, I w- I'm down. I. I have no like ideas, but I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, to I just like want to do new Stargate series. Sure, sure. All right. Next, does the book include a teaser for the author's next work? I, I'm. I, I will fight you, Connor. I'm gonna jump on a plane right now and come and box you for <laughs> removing this from the checklist. I've I've told you before. Uh, it is a thing that happens in literature in general and is not a hallmark of dadlit alone. Okay, but... Harry Potter does it. Well, I would also... Goosebumps does it. Not... Although I will say that now Goose, Goosebumps is like neo-dadlit because it's like shit that people our age are reading now with nostalgia. I would agree. A teaser alone does not make dadlit. I would say the same thing about anything on the dadlit checklist. Uh, some of the things maybe are, are like... Strong, like the stronger indicators. I hope I hope that people at home can feel the squint the, that I'm giving Connor. The score. The leer. The, you're technically right, sir, that the Cold War is not a hallmark of just dadlit. Okay. But... Okay. Well, that's all I've got for the... your papers? Well, no, I... Okay, <laughs> I was just, I was had trouble finding my last page of notes. That's all I have for the dadlet checklist. Do you have anything else that you want to add to it? Uh, not currently. Okay. I, I know there'll be something that we'll forget about and edit in later, whatever. Uh, Chris, when you're editing this episode, add on all of the things that we forgot here. Woo-hoo! Okay. All right. So that's the dadlet checklist. Uh, we're going to, we've formalized it. We're going to type it up and put it on our Instagram page and make it available so people can download it and look at it and, you know, do their own dad lit yeah, reviews. Apply it. Yeah. I'd say apply it to the stuff they read. See, see how many of the check boxes you can get checked from something. you. Read. I'll go even one further. If you, if you can, I was gonna say, if you can, if you can, let's make this a competition. If you can like the person with the most checks, we'll have to double check it, but the person with the most checked boxes wins. So find find a book out there that ha- that checks the most of these boxes and then recommend it to us. All right, I'm gonna. My advice is to apply this checklist to your life. 
Whoa! My life doesn't include the Cold War. Should it? Perhaps it should. No, not anymore. Do you it's, do you own a, it's a dangerous talk do you know, right now? Do you own a Sten gun? Do you often? Okay, so this is stop, stop. This is you just want to own a Sten gun, and you just want to apply the checklist to your life so you can have it. Okay, add to the checklist. Owns a Sten gun. Reader owns a Sten gun. Do you gun. often ponder dense scientific topics and try and reduce them so as to insert them into conversation? Every single day. <laughs> okay. I want to play a quick game with you, all right? Uh, okay. It's this or that, the dadlit edition. I choose this game. All right, good. This or that, jungle work or wet work? Oh, shit. Jungle work. I don't want to fucking kill people. Well, let me... Okay. So, jungle work refers to mercenary work in a tropical setting. Oh, I was just thinking of, like, Congo, where I'm marching through the woods. I mean, they're kind of... Get those... Uh, conflict diamonds. I mean, that's the sort of work you might hire a mercenary to accompany you on. Uh, okay, so if it's if it's that stipulation... How okay? Let me let me rephrase it again. Mercenary work in a tropical setting or covert murder and assassination. I'm still gonna go I, as much as I I don't think a tropical setting would be enjoyable at all. I'm gonna go with that because it's it feels less. It, it's dirty, like physically, but it feels less morally dirty. I, like generally, if you're a part of a mercenary force or a guerrilla force, there's some sort of like purpose to it. If you're doing wet work, you're just a straight up killer. Like you can do that dispassionately, sure, but like you're working for the CIA, and that's dirty. you might also be working that's for like the, the CIA. Dirtiest of the dirty as a d- jungle work. Oh fuck you! God damn it! <laughs> All right. I'll do both. I choose both. This and that. I will be a wet work person that exclusively works in jungles. Okay. All right. Next one. Secret paratrooper mission or maritime recovery mission? Ooh. Paratrooper. Okay. That's a little more like gung-ho, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little more Jack Higgins, a little less Michael Crichton. Um, it's a little more less likely to be stranded at sea. Okay, fair enough. Helicopter or submarine? <laughs> Helicopter. Hover Again, less likely to be stranded at sea. Okay, next one. Hovercraft or helicopter? Um... Helicopter. Helicopters are really cool. I'm sorry. Yeah, hovercrafts are pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah okay. i guess but it's just a it's just a bag with a fan under it okay <laughs> sure sure i mean isn't a isn't a, a helicopter just a ba- no a helicopter is a technical marvel the way they work with gyroscopic motion and the tail say, rotor isn't to counteract it just the spin. is it just a box with a fan above it no that's a box fan okay next one <laughs> occult warfare or psychic warfare Again, both. Um, <laughs> um, <sighs> psychic. Yeah, I realize these things were, I, I, might be interchangeable, but 
distinguishing nope, nope, them. Nope, nope, they're different. They're, okay. they're, they're, they're different. As long as I you feel think like that. Psychic, war- psychic warfare, I'm sitting in a room, astral projecting to try to, like, spy on people. Uh, a cult is possibly making deals with demons and entities and things outside of your control, and I don't like the sound of that at all. Okay. So, psychic warfare. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Riding a torpedo for three months, a la the eagle has landed. Uh Or uh a third-class passenger ticket on the Titanic. I'm going to take the passenger ticket on the Titanic. They can at least party. Yeah, but I think your odds of surviving are like one in four. Yeah, but this is like a... This is like a... um, quality versus quantity type thing it didn't the, the torpedo guys in the eagle has landed uh, I, at least i remember in the movie they go to like a bar like after like they hang out in kind of like a little pub uh after they they're done riding torpedoes for the day you know what's funny connor um this whole list i have judged my choices on the rhetoric of less likely to be stranded at sea and then i chose the one choice that is guaranteed to strand me at sea yeah it's part it's and you'll probably die i mean yeah, well the torpedo hopefully probably it's probably with the torpedo as well um okay well that's that's have you met me that's the, definitely die on a torpedo this or that thank you for playing this or that Connor, yes. I want your answers. Post your answers on the Instagram. Oh, okay. Do you want me to give you my answers now? I could go through it. No, post them on the Instagram. Okay, cool. We'll do it as like a poll or something like that. Yeah. The the, the... Also, do this again. This was fun. I'm going to make one for next time. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So what have you been reading lately? Have you uh, finished any books? Uh, I have. I just finished uh, Neverwhere by uh, Neil Gaiman which was interesting. It's like a urban fantasy about like a guy who falls through the cracks, kind of like, like literally the cracks of reality. Like he has a, like an office job and a fiance. And then like, um, he kind of loses the job and the fiance and like everyone around him starts forgetting him. Like he goes into work and he never worked there. Um, he comes home to his apartment and there's like a showing and they're showing it off to like possible new renters and like the people he's like trying to say like hey i still live here and the people almost don't even hear him and uh so he gets kind of like kicked out of his apartment and is ends up on the street and starts to basically like slowly not exist and he ends up finding his way into this uh adventure based on like a long lost london that exists under london that's like this world of like uh old streets that don't exist anymore or buildings that got destroyed and like people that are all named after like specific things so there's like a character named the old bailey um and uh several other characters named after like real life locations and there's a a character a really great like roguish character named um the marquis de carabas based on like the character from puss in boots um, but it's, it's, it's good. Uh, Neil Gaiman has never done wrong. Everything I've read by him is, is wonderful and delightful and like perfectly sad. Um, and this didn't disappoint. Um, I will say, I think it's a little more underdeveloped based on the other things I've read by him. Like American gods is like amazingly detailed and so much research went into yeah, it. It's like brilliant. But, uh, 
Yeah, and this one has a similar quality in that it it uses a lot of real life locations that you can go to in real life in London, which is cool. Um, and it's just like the story of like a a guy that gets forgotten by the world and ends up trying to help a uh, a random stranger out in this weird urban fantasy setting, and like kind of regains his life at the end. I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there's a couple of twists and some really interesting implications to the story. But yeah, I finished that. Um, uh, I'm reading this book you may have heard of, Hunt for the Red October. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a book you should definitely read, Connor. <laughs> I'll get around to it. I recommend it. it. I, in fact, I demand it. Um, and then, uh, what else am I reading right now? I'm about to start Guards Guards by Terry Pratchett for the book club I'm a part of. You're um, part of another of a different book club? Wow. Yeah, I'm cheating on Thanks. you. Thanks. Um Yeah, um that's about it. I also started I dipped my toes barely started this like um I don't even know if it, I'll call it slice of life, but like a just a regular fiction book that's about like um i guess like i think it's like south american culture and like the struggles of this woman but it's like told through the point of view of a person observing the like the woman's struggles it was it was recommended to me by a friend and i i haven't gotten around to it but i want to finish it before the end of the year because uh i had set a goal for myself at the beginning of the year to read uh, with whatever else I was reading for the podcast or for my own pleasure, I want to at least have read one book from a different culture every month, and I have fallen disastrously short of my goal. <laughs> so I at least want to get a couple more under my belt before the end of the year. Um, What's well, that's a good goal? Uh, I think that, a... I think it's called I think it's called the Hour of the Star. I don't remember exactly, but yeah. yeah. How about you? Um, I actually did a lot of like dad lit reading that, that's unassigned dad lit reading uh, the past few months. Oh, you you do it a lot. I know. Yeah. I read uh, a few John Le Carre books. I reread The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. Uh, really, really enjoy that. I think it's probably like the best spy novel I've read. And I want to reserve a lot of my comments for our spy episode, but I, I do heavily recommend it. Yeah, so I read that, and I also read John Lacari's first novel, which is called Call for the Dead. And it, it's neat reading a, an author's first novel, especially if you're kind of familiar with their with their work to begin with, and you kind of see the the you know uh, where how they've improved. And I think in first novels, uh, one thing I've noticed is that authors tend to be a little more conservative with like the the plot. Like they kind of try and keep it a little more simple because perhaps they're not as confident in their ability to build something very expansive. And Call for the Dead is uh, uh, like that. I don't know. I don't know if look that was intentional on Lakari's part, but the the mystery of it is a little bit smaller than uh, his other books. It's also kind of a short book too, but and but it also reads more like a like a, a detective novel because the the main issue is like a, an unsolved murder. So. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I might look into that one. How long is that? Like, like 140 like pages. Or... Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. yeah. I also. I'll, I'll try to read. I'll try to read that before our discussion. It's good. I can I can uh, mail it to you if you want. Actually, I have to put some stuff in the mail for yes, you, anyways. 
Um, I'll include that. Yeah, I got to take a trip to the post office this weekend, mail all the Christmas presents um, out. Have you read any? Have you read any of uh, Crichton's pulp novels that he did under a different pseudonym? The um, yeah, Jean Lang. I read Grave Descend. Okay, I started that one and I didn't finish it. I need it, there's no reason why like I why I shouldn't have finished it. I just got like distracted or something. Really interesting story. <laughs> another tangent. Really interesting about how I got that book. Um, it was within like the first maybe the yeah within the first year of living in New York City, and I went walking around my neighborhood, a neighborhood that I'd lived in already for months. And fa- end up found finding this like uh, tiny book store that was like down like not in a basement but it was like one of those ones where you have to go down a flight of stairs and it's like half in a basement half on the first floor. Um, really interesting like uh, kind of off to the side of the street like I almost walked right past it. And I was like oh a bookstore I walked down in there and looked around a little bit found that um, purchased it and then on my way home walked past. Um, like a Chinese tea shop that had uh, that had um, um, hip hop music playing in it. They were playing Wu Tang Clan, and I I literally did one of those things where like in mid step you stop and like back up, and uh, I was like, what the hell? And I poked my head in, and the guy that was work like bartending, if you can call like uh, serving tea bartending. There is a bar there though. Like they had like you got bar top you could sit at. And I walked in and I sat down and hit at the bar top and I was like, "What? What? What is this? Like, what is this place? What? Are, what is going on?" Here? <laughs> he's like, "Oh yeah, this is this is tea drunk. This is a we're a Chinese tea house, but um, I convinced the owner to let me do um, like hip hop on Thursdays, and uh, it, it, like even out front of the place on their like little chalkboard sign, he drew the like Wu Tang Clan symbol, and uh, it was awesome. Like I hung out with the guy and we listened to um, like." Wu-Tang Clan, some Sour Soul, which is like a, a Ghostface Killer album that uh, has like really interesting beats to it because they have like a jazz ensemble that does his music for that album. It's really cool. It's like uh, it's Ghostface Killer rapping over like jazz music. Um, but uh, we just kind of like hung out and listened to a bunch of cool, cool shit. And like I sat down, like read some of that book and it was like just a really like it's one of those like perfectly alone experiences where you, you've gone out on your, uh, like an adventure on your own and you have like a, a, a great time hanging out with yourself. Yeah. It sounds uh, really yeah. pleasant. So I have that book, but I've never got to finish it. Um, so I'll have to get around to that. But I, there was one that he did called odds on. Yeah. These are all, these all like, come out via a hard case crime. And honestly, if I'm ever yeah. in a used bookstore and I see a hard case crime book, like I, I buy it automatically, you know, if, if it's, if it's yeah. like a cheap, uh, if you, know. you get a chance to read, if you get a chance to read odds on, try that out. It's, um, it almost feels like a, um, Parker novel. Um, but it's, um, it's like a heist that they're doing at a casino. Um, but it's, it's like a noirish feel to the, the story. It's cool. It's like a, like a pulpy heist novella. Uh, but at any rate you're yawning and uh, i need to get to bed yeah uh so i think this is a pretty good place to call it all right yeah um, thanks everybody for what listening are we gonna call it i don't know yet yeah thank you everybody um I, connor where can people not contact us because no one has bothered to do so hey um they can reach us um dadlitpodcast at gmail.com 
Or they can direct message yeah, us. Email us. Yeah, uh, you can direct message email us, Email us questions. Ask us questions. Comment about us. Complain. I don't care. Send us hate mail. Uh, if, if it's if it's something that's suitable, uh, we might read it on the podcast. We might read it on air. Uh, if it's not suitable, I'm going to read it and not tell anyone about it. You can find um, us on Instagram, dadlitpodcast. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to our listener Adelaide from Las Cruces thanks for listening Adelaide hey alright thank you Adelaide alright until next time we are Dadlit Podcast we'll see you later bye it makes me think of my old home so many miles away to hear the song of that we Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.